0: Log Talk Radio. All right. Getting ready. Three, two, one. Thanks for joining me, guys. Welcome to the Armor Report. Welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Brett Rosenthal. And what we're going to be doing is talking about the Armor Investing Way. That's the lens we're looking through investing in the stock market. I'm going to try to keep this as tight as I can today, and then get to your Q and A. So be, you know, feel free to add questions in the comment section as we go, and then we'll get to that. Um, I want to talk about four, I'm going to break this down to basically four segments. We're going to talk first about really the Armour actions we took last week and what we think we'll be doing next week. So we're going to get right down to it quick. What's the market doing? How has it changed our portfolio? What we may do next week? Then I want to talk to you about an existential question that every investor has to ask themselves. I'm going to ask you, take the time today. Take the time before you put another dollar in the market and answer this existential philosophical question. From there, build a portfolio. Okay. I'm going to answer it for you myself and give you my opinion, and it's going to reveal – the four sectors that I want to put money in right now, okay? And then out of those four sectors, we're going to get to the cannabis couch, if it's one of those four sectors, okay? We're going to delve into a little bit about this question that an Armor Insider or, um, or, or a subscriber, actually one of the subscribers on YouTube, I think, asked me this question, right? The difference between investing in the big four or five MSOs US MSOs, versus um, uh, investing in, in all the other smaller cannabis companies, uh, and, and kind of which is, in my opinion, the better way to go about this. So I'm going to answer that question, and then we'll get to you know, Q&A. So um, without further ado, let's dive in um, by reminding you that the purpose here is for me to share with you my own process, right? So managed money, you know, for 30 years now, plus... 10 years of that, managing hedge funds. So sharing with you the Armour investing way, which is to protect capital first and then capture upside second. And I think that's, you know, most individual investors, unfortunately, do the opposite. They try to capture upside first and totally forget about managing risk. So the difference between an individual and what we're forced to do as professionals, specifically in the hedge fund space, Um, you know, we're forced to protect that capital and then capture upside where we see it. We're hedging, right? That's the term hedge. So I'm sharing with you how we do that. It's allowed us in a year like 2022 to create huge alpha simply by carrying tons of cash, right? So I try to keep it fairly simple to how we run the money. I'm not putting a bunch of pair trades on. I'm not putting a bunch of hedge trades on. I use cash as my hedge because I believe for individual investors who are kind of learning this process, there's a huge leap between long and short, okay? And in between that leap is a much easier step, and it's cash, right? So we use the risk monitor. So this is the direction of how we run money here at the Armour Report, what I share with Armour Insiders. We use the risk monitor as our guide to the big picture, the macro story, right? We look at seven, now eight uh, algos. When they, can, can, uh, um, when they all go in the same direction, we have confluence. We know that's big institutional movement. And then that's when we know the window's open to capture upside, right? So if it's no confluence and negative, we're protecting capital. When we get that flip to risk monitor green, boom, we put money away. So I'm going to share all these thoughts with you. Please understand this is how I run my own capital. I like to say we're a virtual hedge fund okay? That's what we're sharing. It's the armor investing way. It's the armor report. When you become an insider and join us on the desk, it's as if you're joining a hedge fund, okay? So we have subscribers, 35 countries around the world. We all come together. We couldn't do it in real life. We couldn't sit in a meeting room, but we do it virtually. And we trade all day together, and we share information all day together, whether it be algorithmic, or, or research-oriented fundamental information, what have you. So when you join me on a Saturday, in essence, you're joining that virtual hedge fund for an hour, okay? And your job is to be the portfolio manager of your own assets. This isn't about what the next hot stock's going to be, right, or how to get on something that always works. Those are all snake oil sets. But this is about how to manage capital. You've entered that realm. Take responsibility for your own capital build a strategy for yourself, and then execute it with ruthless precision. That's the difference between professional and unprofessional money management. It's to understand the strategy and then execute it and not let the insanity and the noise around you get you off your game. So that's what we're trying to help you do. That's what I. This, this helps me. I appreciate you spending time with me because it, it helps me do that and gets me ready for when the bell rings Monday morning. So let's dive in. coffee in order to dive in. All right, so here we go. Let's start with Armour Action Plan. Okay, what's the Armour Action Plan? We're going to go over some charts first. So, trying to be as concise as I can, the risk monitor for the Armour Report has seven Armour algos. We look at S&P, NASDAQ, Dow, small caps, those are the big four. We look at momentum value and the IBD50, which is our, our innovative group. As the, as the backup three, and I've added long-dated U.S. treasuries. I have to because of the market we're in, okay? When those eight algos, these are probability algorithms, by the way. This is not some black box MIT crazy stuff that, you know, uh, um, you know, is, is some type of uh, crystal ball. It's not like that. It's just saying, look, when all of these are in unison, we have a high probability of success that the market will go up from here and we can make some money. That's what it's saying. And as probabilities are, I think, fairly clear, I have to say this every time just in case there's somebody new, um, even if we're right seven out of ten times, we're going to lose money three times. So we have to have risk management rules, right? We put capital to work when the probabilities are in our favor and the reward is worth the risk. And then we use uh, profit protection, capital protection rules to defend if this is one of those three times. All right. So step one, risk monitor has not changed. Now, you know that I'm a big fan of William O'Neill. I would say it's the cornerstone of my education more than 35 years ago. Okay. I suggest everybody read the book, How to Make Money in Stocks. And I use Marketsmith. You know, I'm not paid to tell you that. That's just a fact. I've I've always read the Investor's Business Daily, and so that's how I start my day. So I shared with you guys on Twitter. You can follow me at Brett Rosenthal on Twitter, B-R-E-T, rosenthal R-O-S-E-N-T-H-A-L. Go ahead. Follow me on Twitter. And I shared with you uh, on Friday, what's happening right now in the market is probably going to turn the IBD green, All right? So their risk monitor is going to go green. I told you that Friday. So today... We read the paper, we go to the website or however you do it, and you'll see that they are now green. We had a follow-through day. Let me first tell you that um, IBD is always the first to go green. IBD follows the philosophy, as does most, uh, I think, long-only investors, that um, market goes up 80% of the time, right? So they want to be on every single possible entry even if the probabilities aren't that great. They're going to tell you to get long there, okay? so Because over a long period of time, the market goes up, and so they'll be able to point back that and say, see, I told you so, so subscribe. So I don't, I don't put a lot of money to work because the risk monitor for IBD goes green. It's just an interesting note that there was a follow-through day, and then there's so much more that goes into it. For me, it's the risk monitor. Okay, so IBD green, as I suggested it would happen, we could see it because there was volume coming into the market on Friday. question one of you, uh, Armour Insiders, asked me, well, it was an OPEX Friday, so does that change the data? It does not change the data for IBD. IBD is going to go follow-through day. It doesn't make a difference if it's an OPEX or not. We can try to look through it and determine if OPEX matters, but IBD doesn't care. Um, It was a follow-through day. So what I want to do now is I want to show you This is, don't forget, this is the Armour Action Plan. We started putting money to work on Friday for, at the very least, swing trading purposes. So the risk monitor is still red. So the only capital I'm putting to work that way is aggressive capital. Conservative portfolio, tons of cash. In fact, I haven't seen you guys in a couple of weeks, okay? So let me just Share it with you. In those portfolios, I'm buying one-year treasury notes at a 4.6% yield. Pretty boring, pretty boring, right? But for conservative money, you know, I have an Armour dividend portfolio that I share with you all the time. And it's been in 100% cash for a couple months now. And that whole portfolio is now uh, put out at around 4.5% in, you know, risk-free rates of return. Oh, okay, I mean, I could always take some money out there you know, and, and move it into some dividend stocks, but I don't see a reason for it right now. If I can get 4.5% without any risk for the next year, I'll take it, and I'll use my aggressive money for other things. So let's stay focused today. Let's talk about why did we put money to work on Friday? I'm going to walk you through a couple of charts, and I'm going to tell you that, number one, everybody – Anybody, all of us, who who have trading strategies, trading programs, trading algorithms, first of all, they they must be dynamic. You have to constantly recalibrate every probably six months, is my guess. That's what I do. Okay? Um, I think any shorter than that, it's too crazy. And and any longer than that, you're missing things. So that's number one. I'm always recalibrating. The risk monitor is still red right now. But I recognize that we're in an unreal and bizarre volatility time for markets. And so what the volatility does, brought on by zero-dated options, which are making up close to 60% on some days, maybe 50% on other days, of all of the options trading every day. Zero dated options means you put the trade on in the morning, and it expires at the end of the day. Maybe it's zero plus one. So put it on this morning, and it expires the end of tomorrow. Okay, those are massive flows that we all have to try to figure out how is it affecting our basic strategy. Well, I can tell you it's causing huge volatility that may be altering some of the risk monitor algos. So I have to go rethink that a little bit just to make sure it doesn't affect it, okay? So I'm working on that. We've never seen this in history. Okay, 10 years ago, options expired. <laughs> they only expired on the third Friday of every month, right? And then some brilliant person figured out, let's make options expire every week. And then that brilliant person's idiot you know, brother said, no, 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 let's have them expire every single day. I don't want to crack Foxy on this story. And if you guys are trading zero data, good for you. But that's a gambling casino to me. That's not an investment. And so when you have massive amounts, that's like a gamma squeeze, right? That's that's institutions, very large institutions have figured out a way to game the indexes every day to create better than 2% swings every day on indexes. All right. I don't want to get off on a rant there. Okay. My only purpose of bringing this to your attention is that it, skews data wildly. It masks what's really going on in the market because there's massive swings, okay? So what I'm going to try to do is look through that massive swing, which can alter algos, okay? And let's just look at the following charts and say, what is the market telling us? And is it worth putting some capital to work? We determined it was. And so I'm going to tell you what stocks we're buying in a minute. We're going to go over the four sectors that I'm willing to put money in. And an existential question you've got to ask yourself before you put another dollar in the market, all right? So we'll get to that in a minute, but I just wanted to show you, okay, first of all, it's the dollar, okay? The, the, the market is following the dollar in lockstep. The U.S. dollar is having one of the biggest rallies ever recorded in history this year. It's insane movement like better than 20%, which is insane for a a currency market. You have to understand currency markets do not trade with this type of volatility. So when something doesn't trade with that kind of volatility, when people trade in that market, they use tons of leverage to create returns because there's not a lot of volatility. Then you get a blowout of a 20% move in the dollar there are some people who've made a fortune on the leverage and other people who are bankrupt and we just don't know who they are yet. The the, the blowups are going to come, but I digress. Let's stay focused. If the, if the dollar tops here and simply comes back down to the uptrend, there's a big rally going to unfold in equities. I say big rally. I say, why is that? Well, if you look here at the dollar and that simple decline from top to bottom in the dollar, that resulted in a 20% rally in equities in about 24 days. Okay? So we've got to respect what's happening in the dollar. The Armour Report is about cutting through the noise and just executing strategy. There's so much noise right now, you could just have inertia and never put money to work. You'll protect capital, but then you'll completely miss the massive upside move. And that doesn't work. We need to do both. We have to protect capital, and we got to capture upside. So we do have to figure out periodically during, during time, when is the reward worth the risk? When is the probabilities high enough to make that trade? Okay? And so these are all the pieces that come together for us. This looks like a concerted effort by central banks to cap the dollar. It started here. This is a big reversal down bar, second reversal down bar, third reversal down bar. And on this particular bar here, the Japanese came out and just hammered away, okay, on the Japanese yen relationship to cap the dollar's rally. So I, I, you know, you read a lot of cynics out there that will say, well, how long will that last? Uh, one hour, two hours before all that money is spent and the market you know, skyrockets again? Kind of an awkward way to pour my coffee, but got to pour it. Got to mix in the most absolutely delicious chocolate from Ecuador. Thank you, all the Ecuadorians. It's delicious chocolate. I don't know what you guys are doing down there, but it's killer. All right. Um, I disagree with that cynicism that, oh, it'll just be a couple of hours and then the market will skyrocket again, okay? The dollar will skyrocket again. I think that when central banks make an effort to do something, it's not short term. They don't, they don't just do it once. They're going to fire away as hard as they can. Now, it might fail. It might just drive the dollar down to the uptrend and then the dollar will skyrocket again But between here and the uptrend could be a 20% move in the market. And I want to capture some of that. So that's first of all. And and so what I'm doing is I'm looking at this here and I'm saying, okay, if I'm wrong and the dollar breaks out across these tops, I'm I'm going to be 100% cash again. I might even be short, okay? But for right now, this looks like a top that's forming and a concerted effort by central banks to cap the rally in the dollar for now. So now let's go to treasuries, because that's the second piece. And I'm going to walk you through a procession of charts right now. They're all debt-related. Debt leads equity. I submit to you, I almost, and I shared this with Armor Insiders after the close Friday. I said, God, I feel like I missed a trade. I think I, I should be in there right now in the aftermarket buying 20-plus-year-dated U.S. treasuries. I didn't do it. I, I'm, I'm, my guess is they're going to gap up on Monday morning. Okay? And here's the reason why. Take a look at the progression. So this is Treasury's TLT. This is a long-dated bond, 20-plus year. Okay? Look at each bottom before a rally ensued. Forget about how small the rally is, guys. I'm not talking about – This is. let me make very clear. The Armour Action Plan right now, the Armour Action Alert right now, is not this is the beginning of the next bull market, okay? I don't know if it is or not. All I'm saying is the pendulum is swung too far in the bearish direction so that the probabilities of a rally are getting higher and the reward is worth the risk. So I execute. That's it. Get rid of the rest of the noise. That's it. I might lose money on this. I'm willing to accept that because the reward's worth the risk from here, and the probabilities are, are building in my favor, okay? So take a look at what's happened. First of all, each time treasuries have bottomed, right here, you'll see a, a spike in volume. That's what this is down here, the black bars are volume, okay? So this is a volume spike. Forget about the initial volume spikes of the breakdown. I'm saying once we're in the downtrend, right at the downtrend line, so you get down to the downtrend line, Volume spikes, which tells you there's a washout sale of panic. And then the market, in this case, rallied for about a month. Maybe it was a two, three weeks there. Okay? Then we come back down and make a lower low. We touch this downtrend line again. Volume spikes again. That was the bottom. Volume was spiking on the weakness right here. So treasuries were gapping down. Volume spikes, sets the bottom. Market rallied for a little over a month. That led to a 20% increase in equities, okay? Now we've sold off all the way down to the bottom of the channel again, and volume just went berserk on Friday. So it doesn't mean it can't go lower for a couple days next week. I could be wrong. You could gap down tomorrow for all, Monday, yeah, tomorrow for all I know, okay? Could gap down and then reverse. And you could always wait for the reversal bar. See, here was a huge engulfing bar on treasuries, and that told you the bottom was in and the rally started. But go take a look at all the other bond indexes. They all reversed higher on Friday. Okay? So this is 7 to 10 year. That was up on Friday. This is corporate investment grade. Looks a lot better than Treasuries. Corporate investment grade. It looks like a bottom in the market. High yield high yield. High yields are been making a higher low and looks just like the market, right? Stocks follow bonds. Right now, they're kind of in lockstep. The odd man out is long-dated treasuries, zeros, long-dated zero-coupon bonds. I submit to you that gap down Friday probably sets the low for the next couple of weeks. That's my guess. It could go down, it could go a little bit lower next week, but I'm saying when you look back over the next couple of weeks, you'll say, oh, that was the that was the, the beginning of the end of that selling, and a rally was going to ensue. And it goes with the dollar. So if the dollar top is real and it breaks down next week, and treasuries are rallying, long-dated treasury rallying with the rest of the complex, that gives you a high probability that equities are going up to some extent. And the reward's definitely worth the risk because there's so much negativity. The last rally was 20% off the low in 24 days. And that's just the indexes. So other groups were up a lot more than 20%. Okay, so now let's get... I want to get to the existential question. Before I tell you what stocks we were buying, what groups we're focusing on, before we get to the cannabis couch, which is one of those groups, I want to ask you this existential question, and I want to ask you to do a couple things. Number one, really think about this before you put any money to work next week. And number two, I want to see comments Right here, if you're not watching this right now, I want to see comments in the comment section answering this question. I want to be challenged. Okay. I want to hear agreement. I want to hear disagreement. Comments in this section right down here so we can make this a virtual hedge fund. We're in a conference room together. You're a portfolio manager. We're having this conversation, and I want to hear what you think. Are you ready? Okay, this is an existential question. The existence of the fund manager, the existence of the portfolio manager. Before I get to the four sectors that I think answer this question, I wanna pose the question. Before you ever buy a stock, I want to ask you, ask yourself, why do you buy the stock? And, of course, I'm going to answer, this is rhetorical right now, but you're going to comment for me about maybe why you do it. Maybe I've missed something, okay? Why do you buy a stock? Why do you buy an individual stock versus buying the index? So we could just all buy the indexes. Okay, so this is the question. We could buy the indexes. In the world we live in today, we could buy products that give us twice the performance of the indexes. We could buy products that give us three times the performance of the indexes. I'm not even going to go there today. Let's just have this existential question versus buying products that give us twice the performance of the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the small cap index. Let's just focus there. Why would we buy an individual stock when we can buy a product that gives us twice the performance of the big three indexes? So there's a couple answers. Number one, you're going to buy a sector or a stock because you think as the market goes down or sideways, that group or sector is going to go up. Example, anybody buying energy stocks at the start of this year, brilliant trade. Market's down 25%. The basket of energy stocks is up, what, 20 plus percent? That was a huge trade. So that's one answer. Okay. It's an existential question. I'm posing this to you to think before you put money to work. Okay. So if you had that thought at the start of the year, I think the market's going down. This group, I think, will outperform and go up while the market's going down. You put money in energy, you win. That was a great call. The other reason why we put money to work, and I would argue with you, I would submit to you, I would submit to you, that we put the money to work most of the time not because we're afraid of a bear market. We put money to work because we want to outperform in a bull market, okay? That might seem crazy right now because we're in a bear, but 80% of the time market goes up. So normally when we're investing, we're saying, okay, the S&P is going to be up 7 to 10% a year, and I'm going to put money in these groups and these stocks because they're going to be up multiples of that. That's why we put money to work most of the time. So what I'm saying to you now, and this is the existential question you've got to answer for yourself, before you put another dollar to work, do you really believe the asset you're buying is going to outperform the market by at least 2x? Because if the answer is no, then you may as well just buy SSO, QLD, and call it a day, right? Why would I buy Apple, for instance? Why would I buy Google? Why would I buy Microsoft? Let's pretend the market's going up. Do I really think Apple, Microsoft, Google are going to outperform the triple Qs by more than two times? It's going to be very hard for them to do that. They are the Qs. Okay? Okay. So in a given 12-month period, it's going to be very hard for those stocks to outperform the Qs by more than 2x. So I submit to you, why would I put money in those big-cap tech stocks? If I want an allocation in big-cap tech, I would just rather buy QLD. You know why? Because I have zero individual stock risk. And so this comes down to risk management versus reward. If you want to come up with an argument that Apple is going to outperform the Qs by more than two times, you have to also remember that you're taking individual stock risk in Apple. All kinds of risk in Apple. All kinds of risk, right? Let's just start with the fact they have massive amounts of manufacturing in China, and China decides to walk into Taiwan. I mean, who knows what happens to Apple? So before we think it's the greatest idea on history, which it may have been, We're investing from here going forward. But what's going to happen next? So, yes, in a world where China runs into Taiwan, all stocks implode. They're all going to get killed, right? But what I'm saying is I'd rather have an investment in the triple Qs and not the individual stock risk of Apple. That's my opinion. I'm just having an existential question and, and conversation with you. Like before you put money to work, since we live in a world of 2 and 3x, I'm not even going to go to 3x. But why would I buy an individual, for instance, semiconductor company? If I think semi-stocks are going up, may as well buy it. SOXL. It's triple the performance of the semi-stock. What semi-stock are you going to show me that's going to triple the performance of the index? This is just a question you have to ask yourself before you put a penny into the market again. And I'd love for you to argue with me, agree with me, whatever, but put the comments in the comment section. I want to know what you're thinking here because as I build my portfolio next week, and I'm going to share with you now the four sectors that I think answer this existential question. There's four sectors from here going forward that I think answer this question. And if they don't make the cut, then I'd rather just have my money in indexes. Here's another reason why. And this is a little more nuanced. This is about hedge fund investing. This is being part of the hedge fund desk. And we're day trading every day. And we're shorting against positions. Okay, So we're hedging risk. So as an Armour Insider, you're, you're watching me do it during the day. I'm, I'm talking you through. I'm saying, okay, here's what I'm doing. So if I put together – so you have to answer this existential question looking at risk, excuse me, not just reward. So you buy a portfolio of stocks that you hope can outperform the indexes by more than two times. Otherwise, you may as well just buy the, the 2X ETFs because you get rid of individual stock risk right? So when we're investing, we have reward and risk. So if you if you buy the 2x, you got rid of individual stock risk. I'll give you an example. I absolutely love CCJ, right? Chemical. I think it's the best uranium stock out there. Then they come out and make an acquisition nobody saw coming, stocks down 16%, right? There's individual stock risk in a great company, right? So I'm just saying that no matter how great you think the company is, you don't know what they're about to do next, So there is individual stock risk, right? So when we're managing risk, we can do it by indexes. We get rid of individual stock risk, but we can still get the performance with two or three X if we wanted. And the other question you have to ask yourself is, how do I hedge my risk? So if you put together a portfolio of stocks, it's it's much harder to hedge that risk for a fund manager like myself than it is to buy, let's say SSO and QLD. I could own those in the portfolio and intraday, all I have to do is short the Q's and short S&P if I wanted, or short the small caps, right? And I guarantee I cut my risk immediately. But I don't necessarily cut my risk if I'm buying Apple, Tesla, whatever, and then you know they make a horrible announcement, stocks are down huge. You know, you know how it's been. Sometimes the market's up that day and the stock you bought getting crushed. That's what I'm talking about. So we live in a very strange world right now where there's high degrees of risk. So before I put any of my money to work, I'm figuring out how do I manage that risk? Well, one way is intraday hedging. And the easiest way to do that is to be long an index because I can short something else that immediately defends the index. Okay, so... That's the existential question I wanted to ask you. Before you buy another stock as opposed to buying the indexes, you see what I'm saying? You've got to make sure that asset either A is going to outperform in a down market. I get to really believe that. Or B, in an up market, you think you're going to get at least a 2x performance because you're taking a lot more risk. Now, I'm willing to take the risk. Let me tell you the four sectors that I'm willing to take the risk in right now, okay? There's four sectors. Let me deal with energy first, because energy is not one of those sectors. I know, I know a friend of mine, his head just blew off, right, because he's hoping that's one of my sectors, I think. I think that's what he's hoping probably watching right now. Let me explain to you why it's not. I've been really thinking about this pretty hard. And I wanted to explain why it's not. Okay. So these are the four sectors that I'm willing to buy. And I'm not willing to buy energy right now. Energy was the call at the start of this year. I believe that call right now is a crowded trade. So I don't really believe. I can't get to the point where I believe in the next three to six to 12 months, that energy will outperform the S&P by a factor of two. So that's how I'm looking at this, okay? So if I don't think energy can outperform the S&P by a factor of two, then I'd rather put my energy money into SSO. I'd rather put my energy exposure into SSO which, by the way, has energy exposure. You follow me? And I'm going to get twice the performance of the S&P. And I'm going to get rid of the individual stock risk. So instead of buying Exxon, Chevron, and those types of names, or, or, or Devon Energy, or any of those names, I don't believe they're going to outperform the market by a factor of two in the next six to 12 months. That's my opinion. I could be wrong about that. Right, I could be totally wrong about that. We all have to make our own decisions. This is not a debate about my opinion on energy and your opinion on energy. My question for you is existential. If you li- literally, can you see my whiteboard back there? Totally wiped clean. Okay, I'm starting all over. This is a different market than I've seen really, I think, in my life. When you get zero dated options trading to such a degree, it's making for insane volatility, and, and I got to rethink how I put mine to work. So I'm going to fill up the whiteboard. I'm going to fill up the whiteboard over here. I'm going to be sharing the whiteboard with all Armour insiders. Okay. Next week, we're going to fill it out. If you twisted my arm, I'm going to get to the four sectors that I'm buying, so don't worry. I'm going to get to those four. But if you twisted my arm on energy, the only energy stocks I'd buy are energy stocks where I think there's dramatic undervaluation. And over the next six to 12 months, that valuation is going to be acknowledged and that that group is going to catch up to the rest of the sector. And so while the sector may just perform in line with the S&P, this group will can perform twice or three or four times more than the S&P. So these three stocks I would buy, these are the only three energy stocks I would buy. Okay, I think the drilling stocks are in the process Okay, of, of an, an epic long-term opportunity. Okay, and the three drilling stocks that I like are Helmer and Payne, Patterson, and Rig. You can see just by looking at those charts that the stocks are not trading up here. Evan Energy has already skyrocketed. Can it go up from here? Sure. Will it outperform the S&P by a factor of two? I don't think so. Okay. This is the exploration production companies. Okay. They're already in a huge uptrend. Go look at HP. Huge base. Huge base. Just coming out of a huge base. Look at Rig. Totally forgotten. If money continues to come into energy and day rates keep going up and it flows into the drilling stocks, those stocks, I think, can go up more than two times the S&P in the next 6 to 12 months. We're assuming a bull market, right? We're assuming a market that's going up, not a market that's crashing. I will buy drilling stocks. I won't buy anything else. Okay? And I even want drilling stocks more than ever now because I'm watching – Like, there's always something going to get away from me. And what's getting away from me right now are the oil service companies. Schlumberger skyrocketed last week. Take a look at Schlumberger, right? I know, I haven't gotten to this before. But look at Schlumberger, skyrocketing, okay? So when you get the drilling, uh, when you get the the service companies, so here's typically what happens. The E&P companies go up first because there's a a dearth of of new development. In the last eight to 10 years, nobody's drilling, okay? So the E&P companies that have resources in the ground that's yet to be drilled get the highest valuation at the start of the energy boom. The next phase are the service guys, right? They start servicing more wells. But guess what? There's a lot of wells that don't have to be drilled. They've been capped. So there's no drilling going on. They're just uncapping, servicing, sucking, OK, I'm oversimplifying this, but this is how it works. Right. And then the third stage are the drilling stocks. When everybody wakes up to the fact that ESG is a joke and you can't follow ESG, no offense to anybody, but you can't do it without an abundant supply of hydrocarbons, then everybody starts drilling. So drilling stocks, I think, over the next 6 to 12 months can have that 2, 3x type of performance versus the S&P. So now let's get to the four sectors other than energy. Because energy is not a sector, just the drilling stocks are a group. Four sectors that I think can outperform dramatically if we go into a market that's rallying. Okay, if the market keeps crashing, this whole conversation's moot. I hope you guys understand that. Okay, but let's assume, okay, the first are going to be innovative stocks. They're down dramatically. Here are a couple of my favorite names. Okay. I'm looking for innovative stocks. In fact, I'm going to show you the IBD um, market smith. And what I want to show you here are I'm looking for innovative stocks and and Erez just brought this up this morning. And I appreciate it. I'm looking for innovative stocks that are down huge. Okay. So the snapback can be enormous, which would outperform the S&P by a factor of more than two or three times. I'm looking down here if you could see this on your screen, these are the last four quarters of revenue and earnings growth. So when the stocks crash, this is Expedia, from 200 to 100, it's down 50%. But earnings and revenue keep skyrocketing. It gets on my list to watch. Trade Desk is another favorite example. All right, Trade Desk, not even close to what Expedia and Airbnb are doing. But I'm looking at revenue growth, 35%, 43, 24, 39. So consistent revenue growth, OK? Earnings are still it would be red if it was down, it's blue. These earnings are kind of slowing down a little bit. I don't mind that. That's an interesting story in there. It's the revenue number that interests me. Um, but, uh, here's Airbnb, just to give you an example. Okay, totally blow out revenue numbers, just blow out revenue. Stocks down huge, 200, down to 120, making a base in here. Massive earnings, revenues, right, skyrocketing. This is just a couple of examples, okay? So four sectors I would invest in. Innovative stocks that have been able to grow through the 50% collapse in their stock prices, okay? And I think they can have better than two or three times performance. Um, I'm going to go with uranium stocks. I don't think that they've really experienced the full extent of their uh, uh, potential. And I think that I'm putting uranium on the map because of the gap down in Cameco. So what you have is a big, you know, kind of, I don't know what that is, top forming, kind of an uptrend. And then you get that announcement that crushed Cameco. What I like is URNM. Okay you can see a huge pennant forming. This is a quasi way to play energy, right? It's an energy play. Huge pennant forming. I think only trading down here because of the CCJ story, which suppressed prices for a while. They break out of here. I think there's a huge potential on the upside for uranium. And I'm not going to go into the fundamentals of each of these groups because time is running out. I want to get to Q&A with you. And we have to get to the cannabis couch. So, CCJ. So, innovative stocks, uranium, precious metals. Nobody likes them. Everybody hates them. Everyone talks about how they're never going to blah, 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 right? Not a store of value anymore. Doesn't work. Blah. All this ridiculous negativity. Pendulum is way too far in that direction. When really, precious metals are just a reflection of an insane rally in the dollar. If the dollar rally is over for now, I think the only time to buy precious metals is when they're down big. You will never see me come on this show with precious metals skyrocketing, telling you to buy precious metals. We never chase precious metal momentum. We buy precious metal weakness. Okay, And so my favorite way to do it is the strat funds P H Y S? Okay, so there's a double bottom to me. That's just a clear double bottom in gold, and it coincides with what is a top forming in the dollar. See that? So it's, this is not rocket science here. Okay, I think that there is a huge amount of energy stored up in the in the rally that's going to happen in precious metals, and it's been unbelievably suppressed because of a sky rocketing dollar this year, if that ever reverses, can we get two or three times performance out of gold and silver versus the S&P? I think so. Look at the bottom that silver is forming. We all know there's a short squeeze, blah, blah, blah. That can always happen. I'm not going to go into that right now. I'm just talking basic philosophical existential questions. If the dollar stops skyrocketing, there is an unbelievable amount of pent-up energy in silver and gold. And I think it would outperform the indexes by a significant amount. Okay, and guess what? I'm buying a little Bitcoin. I said it. I said it. All right, we can talk about that in the Q&A if you want. But silver and Bitcoin have the same type of charts to me. The third, and, and the other thing I love about all three of these is that um, the stop is very obvious. We make new lows, we're out. So the risk is manageable. The reward, I think, is significant if the dollar comes down. Now let's get to what we've all been waiting for. Thank you for spending this time with me. God, it's been 45 minutes. I've talked a long time. The cannabis couch and then your questions, okay? The cannabis couch. That's the fourth group that I'm willing to buy. I'm looking for groups and sectors that I think can dramatically outperform the indexes if the market rallies. So I'm looking for things that are wildly oversold, incredibly forgotten, tons of hate. OK? You get a story a couple weeks ago that the President of the United States has directed the AG and what was it uh, um, Health and Human Resources Department to figure out how to declassify or reclassify cannabis. Okay, and look at what happens. Look at what happens. There's one up day and then everybody comes out and says, oh, that's never gonna happen. Just one up day, it'll never happen. That's a function, okay, of a massive downtrend. And so what happens is when you get a game-changing piece of news, everybody discounts it. Everyone says, doesn't make a difference. We've heard all this stuff before. It's just lip service in front of, just lip service in front of an election cycle, right? And it's quite possible that Republicans are going to take over the House and the Senate. So it'll never happen. Nothing will ever change. That's the narrative now, and that's why I find it so compelling, because it's off of those narratives that the reward is worth the risk. The risk for me is it takes out the low of the big up day. All right, takes out the low of the big up day, I take out my position. This is MSOS we're looking at. Okay? I always have stops. I don't care what my opinion is. But I'll tell you something. I will have in my portfolio options on whatever cannabis company you want. MSOS is my favorite way to play it. You can do whatever you want. I'm going to have some call options that go out six months and I'm not touching them. You see, because when the announcement hits the tape that the president, the AG, and whomever have decided to reclassify weed and put it on any other list than the list that's right next to, you know, LSD and heroin, right? Any other list. It totally changes the landscape. And the stock's going to be up huge that day. And I'll be buying them that day. But I'm going to want to have a piece on right now. As long as those lows hold, i got to have a piece on my portfolio. And even if those lows give way, I'm going to have on some calls just so I have a piece. Because I do think the pendulum is swinging. And I think the upside is worth the risk. So the question that we're going to answer today is, do we buy the big four, maybe five cannabis companies, or do we buy all the other secondary small cap names? There was a whole report written on this. And so the question was, what do I think of that report? All right. So first of all, let's just take a peek. Um, So these these are the the big names I'm talking about. So there's MSOS. But so here's Cresco. For those of you new to this uh, industry, Cresco Chiraleaf, Green Thumb, and True Leaf are your big four, All right? And I, I, I'm actually going to add Verano as maybe my fifth. So the question is, do we buy those five names, or are they overvalued? Are they overvalued? and so we should probably buy the second and third tier small names i mean i mean i mean no disrespect to whoever wrote that report i look at msos and i look at the <laughs> look at the price action of all those stocks and i think that a discussion of overvalued so now i guess i'm going to disrespect him I mean no disrespect, but here comes the disrespect. I think an argument of being overvalued is is a total joke at this stage, total joke, okay? It, it evidences an extreme lack of understanding for how um, money is run. It, it's a complete lack of understanding for how markets function. Um, it's a complete lack of understanding for how bull markets unfold in any particular group. So the simple answer to that question is, uh, no, we don't go down the food chain and start buying weaker companies with weaker balance sheets, with smaller market caps, which, which have dramatically more risk. At this stage in the cycle, we don't do that. We don't. You can do it, but we don't do it. Okay, this is about managing risk. Step one, if we're going to put money into a group like this, we need the most liquidity. That's what's more important than overvalued or undervalued arguments. The most liquid assets at this stage in the cycle will go up significantly more than the smaller tier names. It's always like that. And it's in every sector it's like that. The leaders will lead first. And after we've made an insane amount of money on the leaders, do we want to buy some of the smaller names? Sure. And is there going to be a smaller name here or there that might skyrocket because of some manipulation? I'm sure there will be. But this is a question of risk to reward. The reward from here in the big names. When there's a reclassification, I'm not even talking about declassification, because that's like that's like a dream. You know, it's like that's like a, a cannabis induced dream, you know. <laughs> you sit on your hammock and you're enjoying, you know, whatever product you're enjoying, and you and you you look out at the ocean and you dream of a time where it's declassified, okay? But I'm just talking reclassification. It's the companies that have the strongest balance sheet, the largest cash flows. They're going to attract all of the other big companies. You know, here, here's another example, like another reason for this. It, if things are reclassified, we could just – I'm going to get to your questions now because we're going late, But and I've answered the question. So the, the answer to the question is if we're going to be putting money to work in an incredibly beat-up space, we don't debate valuation. We debate liquidity. Okay, And we go with the strongest balance sheets because if institutional money comes into the space, which is what we're all looking for, it's not my money, your money that's going to put these stocks to the moon. It's going to be a reclassification that leads to all of these stocks that trade on the pure exchange in Canada. They shift to the Toronto exchange. They shift to the New York stock or NASDAQ or wherever they shift to here in the U.S., and institutions start putting money in the space. That's what makes this investment theme, you know, pay off for all of the, uh, of the, of the, of the patients, you know, uh, that we've had to, to, to deal with and everything, right? So if that starts happening, those dominoes start falling. Institutions aren't putting money into some small, obscure cannabis company because it has a lower valuation, they're saying, give me the top four or five names of the best balance sheets and the best cash flow, and they'll put it to prices that are overvalued. They'll be so overvalued, your head will explode. Okay, but now is not a time to argue about valuations on these names. That's that's my opinion. I hope you found that uh, helpful. Um, for my money, right now, I'm really just focused on MSOS. I think advisor shares does a great job. I think Dan's working his hardest for us. He's putting together a great portfolio. And so I'm going to, um, I'm going to give him a nod and I'm going to go that direction. And I'll own a couple of the smaller names through that process. But when I, when I focus more of my capital on the space, I'm buying the top five names. That's just how I'm doing it. I hope you found that helpful. Let's get to your Q and A. Any questions you got for me, let's fire away. Thanks for spending time, giving me the time today. There was a lot to go through to get my own mindset for next week. All right, what do we got here? Um, I did not answer this question, and if you want me to, uh, I'll I'll get to that question, Um, which is to say that I meant to discuss VIX and why VIX doesn't go up. So let me just hit that question real quick. So we have this massive bear market. Market's down 25% this year, uh, and this is a picture of VIX. And you can look at any VIX you know you want, and it'll all show you the same basic um, uh, basic setup. Even if you looked at spot VIX, which is elevated, it's not elevated to any degree you would think based on the type of destruction in uh, equities that we've seen. Okay, and dislocation in currency markets and treasury markets. So why doesn't VIX explode? And I'm, I'm going to try to boil down for you a conversation that Brent Kachuba from Spot Gamma was having with a friend of his, Imram. And I thought that was a brilliant conversation. I'm going to boil it down for you and, and look at it this way. So first of all, I've been saying this for a long time, which is to say, so this, this isn't rocket science. This isn't from that conversation. This is just obvious. VIX only goes up when there's an event that occurs that no one sees coming. Everybody saw a bear market coming saw. To a certain degree, everybody understands when the Fed's raising rates and reducing liquidity, the market's going to be difficult. So as the market goes down based on that, there's no shock to the system. And so you don't get the spike that you would get in prior uh, uh, episodes, like a pandemic. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody knew how the... Government, Federal Reserve would handle it, and so VIX skyrocketed. Or you have the Great Financial Crisis, and, and things are, the governments are, you know, imploding, markets are imploding. Nobody knows how governments are going to handle it. You know, boom, skyrocket, right? You get, you know, these dislocations in the debt market. People didn't see. So what's happening this year? Everybody, not everybody, enough people saw it and they're hedged for it, so it doesn't, it doesn't make the spike. That's the obvious answer. But the piece, the jewel of information out of this conversation I've referenced that I wanted to share with you today is that there, because I'm going to try to condense this down. I'm not going to go deep. I'm just going to give you the bottom line, okay? Because the market shifted from a Fed-induced bull market to something else that the Fed clearly us. The Fed said we're going to be raising rates. We're going to be reducing liquidity. A whole bunch of structured volatility products hit the market. And those structured volatility products that hit the market at the end of last year, early this year, set up a situation where the dealers are always sellers of volatility, based on the structured vol products there's an enormous it's not just what the fed said they were going to do everybody saw these massive spikes in vol and so what happens is that the market always you know crushes any of that type of edge so after i don't know five years of these vol spikes that everybody wants to become a part of what you had at the end of 2021 is you have to, all of these structured vol products come out. And in order for those structured vol products to, to behave, what happens is the dealers are constantly selling vol. Okay, don't ask me why right now. I don't want to get in that rabbit hole. Just take my word for it. So what happens is, to a certain level in the market, and this is where Brent and his friend Imran were talking about 3400 on the S&P. Above 3400 there's a natural process where the dealers sell vol constantly all the way down right if we ever get below 3400 it will exhaust that vol seller in their opinion now that could change that 3400 could change based on how things change in the options market right but based on their analysis of the market when we get below if we get below 3400 There's just an abyss. There's not that dealer vol selling that will keep coming out. And so do I use vol, uh, VIX in my portfolio? I do. If I get long the market, which I did last week, I'm going to carry some VIX in my portfolio, not for the typical bear market selling that's happening, but in case something crazy happens over the weekend. And I, I don't know. Whatever the crazy event is, I don't want to put it out there. Whatever it is, if an unforeseen event occurs, I want some VIX in my portfolio. Okay? So I bought the S&P on Friday, and I held it overnight. But I also bought a VIX position at the end of the day, just in case something crazy happens. We're in that world right now. And I don't think VIX is going to cost me a lot of money. Trading at $17, we are going to close the day. What price is this? 16 and change, 16 and change. I paid 16 and change for VIXY. Where's it gonna go? Where's it gonna go? So the market has a rally for a couple of weeks. Where's it, gonna, where's it gonna go? Where's it gonna go? I look at the chart, it doesn't really go down that much. I'm not paying up for it. So it seems like a, like a, a no brainer hedge trade for me. If I'm gonna carry a portfolio long in the next week, which I did, and I build that portfolio next week, which I made in those four groups that I shared with you, I'm gonna have some VIX in the portfolio not because i think it's going to help me if the market just keeps going down in a bear market sell off but because i need some protection on insanity which seems to be getting closer and closer in this world okay and so it allows me to free up my hands i'm going to take shots down the field the probabilities are right the rewards worth the risk so i'm putting positions on but i hedge it just in case the world implodes okay so there's the vix discussion let's get to your questions now Tech Monkey. Hey, how are you? All right. Morning. Thoughts on ABML? All right. um, Let's take a look at this uh, um, on your ABML. Oh, yeah, it's not. I forgot about this. You guys have been asking me this question, and it's not, Kerry. Um, American uh, battery technology. Um, uh, let, me, let me put it this way. It's not the type of stock that I have an interest in buying right now. Now, if you believe that this has the potential to have two or three times more performance than the S&P going forward, then it could be on your list. But... Um, I'd have to do more research on it, but it's not the type of stock that I have an interest in buying in right now, okay? And other guys have asked me that question on the trading desk last week, so we we looked at it, and it's not that it can't skyrocket, but grants from the DOE, grants from any government has never been a reason for me to put money to work. Now, if you want to give me other reasons why you like the idea, I'm, I'm all for it, but I don't ever buy a stock because the government grants anything. That's my opinion. Just my experience. All right. Um, I buy the stock because it's cheap compared to its high. It's stupid, but that's why I try as well as the index. Oh, okay. So Dennis is answering the existential question of, of why do you buy a stock? I buy a stock because it's cheap compared to its high. You see, but this is the, this is the question I want you to really ask yourself, Dennis, this is the existential question I want to ask you. I want you to ask yourself. I'm not asking you to why should anybody buy a stock versus the index versus 2x the index? And if you're an aggressive investor versus 3x the index. We live in a different world. I grew up in a world where there was no ETF. <laughs> there was no 2x ETF. There was no 3x ETF. So I had to buy a basket of investments that I thought would go up in a, in a bull market, right? So, but I'm saying to you now, I've wiped my whiteboards clean. The only thing I want on my whiteboard is an investment that I think can outperform the S&P by a factor of more than two or three times. Not just because it's cheap, Right down from its, from its high. That's not a reason. And that's, I'm glad you put that in there because you've really got to ask yourself the question before you build your next portfolio, why are you really buying the stock? And if you can't answer the question in, in a, in a, in a manner that um, um, makes logical sense, I don't know if logical sense is the word I'm looking for, but As you said, you don't just buy a stock because it's down a lot from the high. That's not a reason. There's gotta be a catalyst. But I'm saying at the end of the day, even the catalyst, there's gotta be something that can create performance better than two or three times the indexes. Otherwise, you just buy the indexes. That's the question I want you to ask yourself. Cheap relative to what? Yeah, cheap relative to what? So you buy stocks because they'll go down less. And I submit to you that your, your answer, that's true. In a bear market, you're buying a stock that you think will go down less. And I'm glad you brought that up because um, in this market, markets are like 100% correlated. With the exception of energy, that was the right call this year. But almost every other asset, and I would have thought gold and silver would have gone up with the market going down. They got crushed, right? A lot of people out there were convinced that Bitcoin would go up. It got crushed. Bitcoin's down as much as the innovative stocks. Bitcoin's down as much as the ARK fund. So clearly that wasn't right. You see what I'm saying? So yes, you're looking for an asset that could go up when the market's going down. But honestly, 80% of the time the market's going up. So when we're normally investing in a normal year, we're looking for something that could go up I submit to you more than two or three times the market. And, and if you're afraid of the market going down more, then my answer for you is U.S. Treasuries. And I only have to go out one year, and I can collect 4.5, I think it's 4.6% now, for one year. All right. Four, look, the S&P, what does the S&P go up 7%, 7 to 10% a year over a long period of time? If well, I can get 4.5% for no risk, all right, if I think the market's going a lot lower, I'd rather not try to guess which group is going to go up. I'd rather just buy U.S. Treasury notes and wait until I think the market's going to go up. Yeah, for sure about that. All right, the market is going up the next two to three weeks. I love, I, love, I love you, Mo. If, if, you, if you have not, if, if there's one thing that you always have, it's conviction. <laughs> I love that. We're due for a bear market rally. I agree, man. I, I, it just feels that way, right, Mo? It just, it just feels that way. And I don't like to invest based on my intuition. So I use my algos. And all these things that I shared with you today are pieces to a puzzle that looks bullish to me. So I'm putting some money to work. And if the risk monitor goes green next week, I'll put a lot more money to work, right? But if we're not talking about any of that, and you and I, Mo and I, we're just having a coffee. And Mo and I are just having a coffee. And we're saying, hey, how does it feel? God, the market's due for a rally. You're 100% invested now. <laughs> I love that. That's a lot of risk you're taking, but I love it. Look at commodities dollar decline. Techs, techs are laggards. Actually, the innovative tech stocks will be leaders. You'll see them, sky. If the market really rallies, innovative tech stocks, which are wildly depressed, will blow up a lot. Um, I've been buying T-triple-Qs. about a month little by little see dennis that's what i'm saying you're buying three times the nasdaq 100 i'm not even saying i'm going to do that i'm probably going to buy qld i just i just need two times but if you're if you're going to buy a tech stock or you could buy t triple q's that tech stock better be able to perform three times as much as q's otherwise what's the point i think there's four groups where i could find that type of performance Yeah, I agree with that. Three to six months, different ballgame. Sean. Trade desk and micro strategy. Yeah, I mean, I love the trade desk story. MicroStrategy. I don't know about that, Sean. I mean, I guess I'm buying Bitcoin. So your argument is, well, then why not buy micro strategy? Yeah, let's look, look at micro strategy chart. All right. If I could hold my nose and get over the fact that I don't like Michael Saylor at all and I just look at the chart, you're right. You're right. You're right. MicroStrategy. Yeah. Uh, we did a lot of research this past week on on Silvergate. And, and I think, first of all, the chart of Silvergate looks terrible. And and, and you know for the here and now, you're right. Um, MicroStrategy would be the better way to go. I think you were asking about Silvergate this week. And we listened to the conference calls and I like Silvergate as a long-term idea, but what we really heard about that Silvergate call was we need volatility in crypto for Silvergate's SEN exchange to actually, you know, um, um, drive profits for that company. So when Bitcoin flatlines for three months, you see a collapse in movement on their SEN exchange, like 41% collapse in, in volume. So, um that's probably not the way to go. If I like Bitcoin, I think you're probably right, as much as I hate to say it, that uh, micro strategy is probably a better way to go. Huh, interesting. Don't sell invested property unless you get two or three times performance. <laughs> Bruce, Sheila, it, the dollar may keep going up over time, and I don't disagree with it. All I'm saying right now is, does the market, does the dollar go from the top of the channel down to the bottom? That's all I'm saying. Look at the chart right there. We're at the top of the channel and a sell-off to the bottom of the channel. I would submit to you, Bruce and Sheila, even if the dollar just goes sideways for the next month, markets go up. We just need, need to arrest the skyrocket of the dollar. If it just flatlines, asset prices are going to go up. Yeah. and, And that's the question I'm asking, the existential question I'm asking, Mo. You know, if I can own the indexes and reduce my individual stock risk, then if I'm going to buy a stock, it better be explosive if I get it right. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying not to buy stuff. I'm buying cannabis stocks because I think they're huge winners if it gets reclassified. I could be wrong about that, but that's an investment choice I'm making because I think there's massive upside there. You, you know what I'm saying? MBTS. Okay, I don't, I don't know a lot about NVTS. Is it making it a lot of me, you're asking? it's possible a double bottom there, but it, you know, it's trading below all the key moving averages. So I'd have to see something better out of that stock um, to to separate it. You know, as a semiconductor, I'd I'd rather own. Like this is my point. Um, this is this is a great this is a great point. So I'm just looking at the quarterly earnings right now. So the revenue is up 58.27. 58, 61. So revenues are climbing, but off of a tiny base, man. Look at this, 5.5 million in revenue versus 8.6. That's just a tiny base. And of course, they're losing money. So they're burning through cash. So Stan, I submit to you that before you buy the stock, you have to look at their cash and ask yourself, how much cash do they have to get to profitability? That's your question here. Not so much is the chart setting up. Do they have the cash to get the profitability? Because they're burning cash. And if they don't have the cash to get the profitability, what these companies will do is a secondary offering. They'll raise more equity. And when they do that, they dilute current shareholders and the price goes down. Okay? So your first question, you go do the research on your own, go listen to conference calls, look at the balance sheet and see. Go read analyst reports. They'll tell you. They have cash that can make it to the end of the year. Or whatever, make it make it for the next 12 months or whatever. You've got to answer that question before you ever buy this stock, okay? Technicals don't matter if the fundamentals you know can't support it. This is my favorite semiconductor company, okay? On semiconductor, 95 relative strength. While all the semi stocks are getting destroyed, on semiconductor has got 95 relative strength. And look at the earnings. First of all, I'm wildly positive, 63%, 63 cents a share a year ago, $1. 34 this year. That was in the last quarter, right? 25%, 30%, 28 30% increase in revenue. How are they doing that in a world where we have supply chain problems and a destruction going on? But what's NVIDIA? I haven't looked at that in a while. I mean, here are some of the leading stocks. Ah, yeah, NVIDIA getting crushed right? revenues collapsing, earnings collapsing, on semiconductor skyrocketing. I, if I'm going to buy a semi, I'd rather go there, right? But again, I could buy S-O-X-L, triple the performance of the semiconductor index. So, I don't know, can ON do better than triple the performance of the semiconductor index? I don't know. But anyway, NVTS, you have to do the research there before you look at the technicals, okay? XME, Yeah. Yeah. Let's look at XME and COPX. So, I mean, there's a nice breakout, pullback, double bottom, right at the moving averages, coming across the tops. This is metals and mining. And the only thing, the reason why these things are down is the dollar has skyrocketed. If the dollar takes a break, there could be a huge rally off of here. Are the steel stocks in there? I wonder if the steel stocks are in there, Mo. I bet they are. Metals and mining. Are they in there? Because look what happened to steel dynamics last week. Look. I mean that's, that's that looks unreal. That's a reverse head-to-shoulders breakout in steel. Cleveland cliffs looks terrible, but I mean that should come on. New core. I like the XME idea. But, and in the past, I would have bought XME. But what I'm asking myself now is, is XME going to go up more than two or three times the S&P? If not, I don't want to just buy XME. I'd rather buy more S&P. That's just me. I'd rather buy three X the S&P. You see what I'm saying? Now, if you want me to dive into that group and we see steel stocks that look unbelievable, okay, maybe that group could skyrocket for some reason. Then maybe I'll buy those steel stocks. I'm not saying I will, but I'm just saying I'm not just going to buy XME because the chart looks good. I mean, if that chart looks good and it's going up, is it going to dramatically outperform the S&P? This is my question I'm asking you. I don't know. I mean, you know, oil did, right? So oil would have been the better choice. That looks terrible. I can't buy the copper stocks. That looks terrible. But let's be honest. This is FCX. And FCX came off the low. The COPX got too much China in it. I won't do that. I won't do China. But I could see buying FCX off the low. Hey, what's happening there is uh, IBB. Yeah, biotech. Yeah, biotech. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, Aris, Um it, I'm not going to try to cherry pick biotech companies. I would just go out there and buy BIB, which is twice the performance of IBB. So I don't have to guess which, I don't disagree with you. Biotech, can, I should have added, I could make that the, the, the fifth group, because if I like innovative stocks, and biotech stocks kind of run with the innovative stocks. They're all down huge. So innovative stocks, biotech stocks, and I would just buy VIB and forget it because that will give me twice the performance of biotechs. And I won't, as particularly in the biotech space, if you buy the wrong biotech name and there's a negative announcement about a drug, the stock collapses 50%. So particularly in that space, I would rather buy the 2X ETF and not debate you know, which names may or may not work, okay? But you're right about that, and let me add that. Let me write down some notes here from what you guys are doing. So um, BIB I wanna put on the list. I've got to, I'm got gonna put XME on the list because I wanna delve into what stocks are making that index look so good. Maybe there's stocks there. So STLD and NUE and CLF and X. I gotta listen to that Steel Dynamics call next week. Armor Insiders, will do that Monday. Tomorrow, we'll listen to the Steel Dynamics earnings call to figure out what's going on with that stock and will it will it uh, um, equate to Cleveland Cliffs and, and U.S. Steel? Because if it does, then those stocks. Well, look at look at U.S. Steel. Th- those stocks maybe are something we want to we want to focus on if the if we get a risk monitor green right. So. The first step in 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 the process for the armor report, we buy indexes first, so we have SSO. I've I've added, you know, a couple of my favorite groups that I that that I think, um, you know, like uh, um, precious metals and, and and cannabis and Bitcoin, which are I think wildly depressed, and I and I think can respond in here, so little bits. And if we get strength next week, I'm going to want to build out my portfolio. And that's what we're talking about today. So I'll look at biotech. I'll look at steel because that might be what's inside XME that can have two, three, four times type of performance versus the S&P going forward. I don't know. I've got to listen to that call. Individual stock picks could come back. not exactly sure what that was in reference to there, um, guys eBay eBay oh, yeah. yeah that chart looks, looks terrible I'd rather buy a chart pattern looks better let's go look at the numbers first so revenue growth is is negative so the, the stock is down from 80 to 40 and the revenue growth is negative and the earnings growth is negative now we could go look at Airbnb the stock's down from 220 to 120. So they've declined the same percentage. But look at the blowout going on in earnings. So if, you, if you, we have to start ordering what we want to own. The simplest way to do that, and I have a list for you of the, the top seven fundamental pieces of information we use to add something to the whiteboard. And one of those top seven things you know is earnings and revenue over the last four quarters. So, it's a question of we can't buy everything, Deb, right? So so we have to figure out which ones uh make the cut and which don't. It's an opportunity cost of money. So, why do you want to own eBay? Is it because you like the company because you because you buy stuff on eBay? I don't know. But if you look at the fundamentals, the numbers are terrible versus other Armour Power Play names. So the names on the Armour whiteboard that I call Power Play, you're going to see expanding revenue, expanding earnings over the last four quarters, even during a major market downturn. Right. That's step one. Then we're going to look for new products, something new that's happening. So let, let's say um, Pinterest. Okay, Pinterest looks terrible, right? Why would I, why would I buy Pinterest over eBay? Okay, so first of all, the revenue growth, at least there's some revenue growth in Pinterest, although earnings have collapsed, okay, but there's some revenue growth. But I'm going to buy Pinterest right here. I don't know if you can see it on your screen, but it says new CEO, right, new CEO. There's no new CEO here at eBay, so all the bad decisions that have been made, that are driving the stock down. They, They got nobody there leading the ship that knows what they're doing, apparently. So what I'm saying is one of the things I like to do is stocks down big, new management comes in, the Pinterest guy comes from Google, he knows what he's doing, he's turning the company around. All right, I'll give it a shot because there's a turnaround there. So if the revenue and earnings are no good, but there's a turnaround story developing, Netflix is a great example. There's a turnaround story developing. Okay, I'll give it a shot. But what's going on at eBay that would make you interested? These are just questions you got to ask yourself. We're going long today. That looks good. AEHR looks pretty good. That chart's unreal. Earnings and revenue are skyrocketing, right? Yeah, that's a great idea. Stan, you're all over that one. How about banks and financials? Randy, I just don't care about banks and financials. Because, Randy, this this is what I'm asking you. What bank or financial company do you think is going to outperform the S&P, and they're all in the S&P, right? That's going to outperform the S&P by a factor of at least two or three times. What scenario has to happen in the world where banks go up more than twice the performance of the S&P? If you can't answer that question, then I submit to you whatever capital you would like to invest in banks, just invest in the S&P. Go buy SSO, twice the performance of the S&P. You see what I'm saying? That's why I asked that question today. Build a whiteboard of names where you can find, where you actually believe there's exponential growth that will blow away the performance of the S&P. Otherwise, what are you doing? What's the point? Just buy twice the performance of the S&P. Yeah, T-E-C-K, Yep. I haven't looked at that one in a while. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, T-E-C-K, and you got, you got copper, you got coal in there, right? Oh, we got to put that on the list for next week, T-E-C-K. Yep, if I start buying individual stocks, there's a winner. Guys, I'm exhausted. I got to take a break from you. Best thing well, I'll end on this, though. The best thing you've learned from me, that's fun. What's the best thing you've learned from me, Dennis? I love it. Um, sell stops, how oh, that helped me this year. A whole lot, thanks. You're welcome. Sell stops are important, and that's a great note to end on because all of the potential bullishness that we're talking about, Mo, I'm looking at you, all of the things you and I both see, looks like the market should do this, algos are giving us a risk on entry point, everything I've talked about today carries a stop loss. If the stop is hit, I go to cash, and I don't keep arguing that I think the market should go up. It doesn't make a difference what I think. Market sells off next week and takes out my stops, I'm back into cash. And let me say one last piece of information, one last thought to this existential question. If I'm long the S&P in a big way, I can just, I said this before, but I'm going to end on this, I can short against it intraday to hedge my risk. So theoretically, theoretically, with the exception of a major gap down, I should be able to limit my downside to the stop, right? Theoretically, I should be short something on the way to the stop and then get stopped out of my S&P position and be short. It's very hard to do that with a portfolio of 15 individual stocks that are invested in, where you're invested in many different sectors of the market, managing that risk is almost impossible. So the time to have a portfolio like that is in a bull market, bona fide, risk monitor, green, Fed, not raising rates, not reducing liquidity. That's when you get the biggest reward for the risk you're taking of a portfolio full of individual stocks. And right now, trying to identify the end of a bear market, which we don't know if it's here or another 25% decline from here. Step one is to own the indexes. That's the foundation. And I submit to you, ask yourself the question, whatever you'd like to invest in next week, look in the mirror. Do you really think it's going to outperform the S&P by at least a factor of two? If you don't, then I submit to you, it's better to own the S&P so that you can hedge against it and protect yourself if this entry point is wrong and the market goes down. You all have a great weekend. Let's go watch some football and relax, all right? Thanks for your time with me today, guys. And, um, of course, as always, I haven't spent any time talking about this, so Michelle's going to be disappointing me. But, um, guys, Armour Report, right there, armrreport.com Come join us. Be an Armour Insider subscribe, hit the like button if you've enjoyed this conversation and you're still on and it's been an hour and a half. I expect all of you to hammer that like button, all right? Share your thoughts and comments during the week right here in these comment sections, right? And I'll come back and answer the questions. I'd love to hear your thoughts, okay? You guys have a great weekend.